we're going to be in John 15, verse 7. I didn't open up this. There we go. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is, my fa- this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As a father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Now, I wanted to read all of that, even though I'm not going to cover all that. You know me enough, right? Uh, But, uh, you know, Jesus has been with his friends, and he's been teaching them. If you've been following along with the series, as you have, um, they had the evening conversation, what we call the Last Supper, you know, with the mill and everything. And now they're headed down to Gethsemane where they have all the olive presses and so forth. And they've gone through the vineyard where Jesus, and we talked about that last week, where Jesus stops and starts to teach them. And later in the evening, it's, it's dark by now. And they're in this valley. And he's going, this is me. This is you. And this is my father. And he's talking all about that stuff. I am the true vine. I am the rootstock. And you are the branches that have been grafted in. And we talked about being grafted last week a little bit. And his father is the gardener. And everything that's been done in the vineyard, the father has done. Now, so many times we look at the vineyard and Jesus and we think of the Trinity and all those things, and we think that Jesus does all the work, right? I mean, he's the one that, uh, you know, it's all about Jesus, right? That's what everybody says. In one sense, I agree with that, but in another sense, it's all about Jesus because Jesus is pointing to the Father. You see, you see the route that it goes? It's all about God himself, and Jesus is a part of God. Don't get me wrong on that. I'm not trying to say that, but, you know, the Lord doesn't separate himself so much like we do, and Jesus says he came to reveal the Father. So he says, my Father is the gardener, or the orchard owner. And Jesus uses a lot of farming terms here. And Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and the goal is what? We learned this last week. What is the goal of the branches? To produce fruit. That's right. It's about the fruit, everlasting fruit. And we have to continually remind ourselves that this is the goal because we oftentimes think think it's about us, right? The church should please me personally in every way or I'm not happy. That's about me. That's about the branch. When in reality, it's about the fruit. What are we doing to please the Lord? The goal of Jesus and the goal of the Father is his works in my life. 
No matter what season it is, whether it's time for planting or cultivating or weeding or, or you know, getting rid of some bugs or, or whether he is feeding the soil or taking off a few leaves or, or maybe it's even after the fruit, he comes through a knife and he, he takes away, he prunes a little bit. No matter what the season, the purpose of it all is to bear more fruit. No sooner, you know, he says this than he says also, so you can bear more fruit. And in verse 2 later on he says, so you can bear much fruit. See how the pruning process helps us bear more fruit each season? I mean, have you seen an overgrown fruit tree? It's just like a madhouse, right? And does it bear as much fruit? Anybody do fruit trees? Yeah, you have to prune it a little bit, and it bears more fruit. But it kind of goes against our thinking. You think more growth would produce more fruit. That's not always the case. But we call this fruit eternal fruit. So he takes the bearing fruit further to the point where we focus, and our focus is on the eternal, which is absolutely amazing. That my fruit has eternal consequences. That's amazing to me. That anything out of my fleshly, sinful, old self could abide in Christ enough and be changed in such a way that out of my life could have something that could taste so sweet to someone else that it brings them to the Lord. That's an amazing thing. And I don't know if you grew up in a tremendous, you know, grew up in tremendous amounts of sinning or tre- tremendous amounts of Phariseeism or whatever, you know, which is also tremendous amounts of sinning, right? You know, I don't know if you grew up in, in religion or out of religion, but when you finally figure this out, words come to our lips like amazing grace, amazing love, because we begin to see that God is actually amongst us living with us and it's all about glorifying God how many of you in the flesh feel worthy enough to be used by God to represent him you know what I'm saying it's not like we're hopping around going yeah I'm worthy enough God use me that'd be ridiculous right But in the world we live in, how many of you think that God made a wise choice in choosing you to be his ambassador to this world? He looked around and said, yeah, that person is perfect. And we go, huh? I mean, I would have chosen somebody else, right? I mean, look at all their faults. I mean, we start to be nitpicky, don't we? And it's really weird when we're young Christians because oftentimes we think, man, God did a good job of choosing me, didn't he? You know, when we're young, you know, because I'm perfect for this position or, or place for serving. I mean, look at me. And we begin to have this Pharisee attitude, and I wish everyone would be a Christian like me. And eventually we get to a point where, like Apostle Paul, we get knocked off our donkey, right? And we're left flat on our back with gravel in the back of our head, blinded and helpless and hopeless and the Lord starts to speak to us this very first time even though we've been talking to him for years and telling him who he is and how he is and how he ought to be as we're showing our great and wonderful knowledge to the Lord and what is amazing to me now he says 
if you just remain in me. And he starts to mature us. Just remain in me. And then you're going to begin to ask for things. And you're going to start partnering up with the vine in such a way that fruit is going to start coming out. And you won't be able to take the credit for that fruit because you know that in your earlier days, you would have taken the credit, right? And you would have said, hey, check me out. Check out my fruit. But you've grown a little bit. And then you might say, well, I I want to give God the glory for my fruit. So if you've noticed my fruit, you understand it's all about the Lord. It's all about God. And all the while, we're still kind of pumping ourselves up a little bit. Praise the Lord, my brother, right? It is not me. It's just God. But I'm glad you noticed. That's very intelligent of you to notice how the Lord's using me. But then we mature a little bit more. And we start to, you know, we feel, uh, sorry, you know, you feel that you're lucky to be a part of the process. And then as soon as you start feeling that, it's really your first sweet taste of the fruit that God has for you and the fruit that God can produce with you and through you. And even if you've been following the Lord, you know, for years, once you start tasting that, you know, sweet fruit, it is amazing. And when you start abiding in the Lord, you start staying put. And the word remain in me. Let's talk about that for a moment. What is the word that is supposed to be, you know, what in his word is, is what we're supposed to be remaining in? It's the Bible. We're supposed to be remaining in the word. That is what it is. Now, let me give you a little warning. If anyone ever calls you or grabs you and and they say, man, I I have a word from the Lord for you. I mean, have you ever had this happen? I mean, sometimes, you know, the, the word can be really cool, you know, and sometimes the word can be totally off, even if it comes from really spiritual people, what we would call spiritual people. They're just exercising their gifting, right? And sometimes they exercise it to our expense. So what you need to do is this. If someone has a word for you, and it probably sounds like this, it should, you know, it should sound exactly like the Bible. Do you understand what I'm saying? If what they give you doesn't agree with the word of God, then it's not from God. That's from Satan. That is not from God. You know, somebody might come to you and say, you know, today I was praying for you and the book of Ruth came to my mind. You might want to read that book. Okay. Well, that's better than them telling you exactly what the Lord wants from you, right? So at least you can go and read it and see if that meets something that the Lord's been talking to you about. But any time a word comes from you to some, from someone else, it ought to match up with some, what somebody else is already telling you. Okay? So if somebody gives you a word, you wait. And you see if it's confirmed by the Lord. You don't just go off on that and say, well, that's just it. Don't ever go to someone, no matter how spiritual the person looks, and say, give me a word about what I should do. Should I marry this guy or not? Or whatever it is. What what you're doing is asking someone else to be the Holy Spirit. Go to the word first. Go to God first. And then ask a more mature person their opinion after you've done that. But allow the Spirit to direct you. 
You know, in the Old Testament times, I think it was Ezra, he came, um, the governor, I mean, the, he was appointed governor over Judah area, and he came and he was the spiritual leader for Israel who had already came back and stopped following the Lord. And many of their leaders had, had married non-Jewish people, and the Lord said, don't follow after these non-Jewish people because they're going to lead you away from God. Okay, and I'm not talking about you can't marry somebody a different color skin or anything like that. But what God was saying is, it'd be like us today marrying a non-Christian. What happens when you marry a non-Christian? Well, they don't want to go to church on Sunday. Why would they want to go to church on Sunday, right? They may placate you for a little bit, but it's difficult, okay? And it's not saying the Lord can't work with that, but it brings more difficulty in there. We have to be careful, what does the Word of God said? They knew what the Word of God said. They knew what the Torah said, but they went against it. So we need to know what the Word says. If we continually go to other people, we're purposely staying immature in our faith. The Lord has called us to a maturity. I mean, there comes a time when, you know, the kid comes to you, your child comes to you and says, you know, mama or daddy, can, can you tie my shoe? And you're like, okay, 27-year-old son, I can tie it for you this time. But you need to learn sometime, right? If we keep going to somebody that's spiritually mature and never trying to mature ourselves, that's what we're doing. So what the Lord expects from us when we abide in him is that we study his word. And what happens is most of the time we get, we're, we get a little too ambitious, Right? We start out with a small book and study it and then go to a next larger book and, and then, we, you know, then we start to build up. That's how you're supposed to do it. Some of us, you know, start in Leviticus or Deuteronomy. Don't do that. I'm going to read through the Bible. So you start out with Genesis and you're pretty cool with Genesis. Exodus, you're like, okay, I like this story. This is cool. God doing all the plagues and all that kind of stuff. You know, Genesis, Exodus. Then you get to what? Yeah, Leviticus. Yeah. No, 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 no. Start with New Testament and then go back and start studying and so forth. But, you know, that's the best bet to start there. But the Lord intends our relationship to be like food and water. What the awesome thing is the Lord hooks us into this thing and we can't even do anything about it. It's just amazing. The Lord lets us think we choose him. And then in John 15, we understand that God says, I chose you. By the way, I did that for you. I grafted you in. I took you and I put you into the, the vine. And now you're part of the branch and I choose you. Not because you represented me the best. Not because you have all the natural abilities that I want for that position, you know. Or the body lack these things. Because the Bible says that in him all things are already complete. I choose you because you're the least likely candidate to do what I want to be done, and therefore it will glorify me instead of you. I choose you because you're going to be an inspiration to everyone else. To everyone else it says, man, if God can choose him or if God can choose her, then surely, surely he can use me in some way. I mean, if God can choose him, then he must mean that, that God can use me too. Did you know that the, the, there are, you know, <laughs> that's the number one way that people have hope. Because they see how God has changed your life. We like to hide our past, right? 
You know, it's not like we have, uh, you know, um, uh, where we all get up and tell our sinful past, right? Anybody want to start a list of their sinful past and pass it around? (laughs) Absolutely not. Yet at the same time, those things, we need to use those for the Lord. I used to be this way, and the Lord saved me from that. Not because I'm better than you, but because of through his grace and his mercy, that's why I'm saved. It's great when you've been in ministry as long as I have. And I started in ministry about, well, I mean, I started in junior high, and I just didn't even realize it. The Lord started prepping me in junior high and stuff, and I had no clue. You know what I'm saying? But it wasn't until 93 that I started entering into ministry in a, in a bigger way. But, but you start to learn to kind of take a background role in things. There's been times when, when I've been in the mentor role and in the middle of someone totally being used by God and, and they come to you and say, man, I feel so inadequate now. And I'm like, welcome to the club. You know what I'm saying? And I wanted to go, you know, but, but you, we just say, I know you do. Let's just pray that God can deal with that, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, that God can give you the ability to do what you're doing. And usually what happens is, the person ministers just in a mighty way out of their own inadequacy because they start relying on God. That's when God can truly use us when we rely on him. Now, relying on God too much can actually hurt you. Let me say that again. Relying on God too much can actually hurt you. Now, before you think that I'm going against scripture, or you start looking it up, or you're going to prove me wrong, send me a text this week. Let me explain what I mean. There are times... When the Lord totally covers for us, right? We totally screwed up and the Lord covers us. We say, Lord, I didn't study for this test. Help me out. And the Lord helps us out. Or Lord, I didn't, I didn't cover, you know, I didn't prepare for this lesson. And, and you know, allow, allow the, the Spirit to help. But if we do this too often, eventually the Lord will get tired of us not maturing and will allow us to fall flat on our face. If you remain in me, in other words, abide in me, and my words remain in you. What this means is if you digest the word of God constantly, just as much as you eat food, what is your favorite thing to do in the world? Maybe it's eating, maybe it's doing something else. Maybe it's music, whatever your favorite thing in the world. If you digest or if you, you spend time with the Lord just as much as you do your favorite thing in the world, that's abiding in God. Are you satisfied with only getting meat once a week? We need to abide. We need to remain. We need to study. We need to read the word. So if you, you, know, if you abide in it, if you remain in it, if you do this before you know it, you know, instead of calling the mature friend, what should I do? You find yourself going, wow, I know what to do here. The Lord's given it to me. The Lord has already given me the answer on how I should act in this situation. Now, is it specifically go and do this? No, it's the principles of this is how you're supposed to live out your Christian life. This is how Jesus would do it in this world. So therefore, go and do that. 
This is when you start to realizing I'm maturing. So when we ask, because it says, if you remain or abide in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What is happening here is out of this abiding relationship with the Lord, they, started, they have started to ask God for things that have already been mentioned in the word of God because the word was the, was the food that they've been receiving. So you start eating the word and you start drinking the word and it washes us, it nourishes us, just like when we eat and drink and shower and clean up and all these things. And I want to encourage you to, to look into the word like you do food. When you sit down to eat, it's like coming to church on Sunday morning. But we need to learn to become snackers, right? Not snackers on food, snackers on the word. Just, you know, you get to the point where I'm just craving it. I've got to have a little bit of it. And this is when we start to find ourselves having meals on our own, sitting down and reading the word. I'm telling you, I, the, the best thing and the worst thing are these, these stupid things, right? iPads, iPhones for the younger, you know, some for the older. But, I mean, we have it instantly in our hand. We can read the Word of God anywhere. You don't even have to take your Bible with you. You have it with you already if you want. Take a few minutes and read it. I want to encourage you to do that. That's abiding. Now, the Lord never wants us to get bored with this because when His followers get bored with the Word, we stop abiding in it, right? And when we stop abiding in it, we start abiding in other things that's not of him. Counterfeit things that can rob us, can rob us of that true relationship that we have with the Lord and the true dependence on the virtue of Jesus and the vine of Jesus. And it affects what? Our fruit. <clears throat> so we need to be careful to stay fed by the word. Because when you do, your prayers become more powerful. You start praying the things that God wants you to start praying about. You start opening your mouth where you used to say, Lord, I really need a new car, which, you know, some of us may need, right? But you start, you know, our Lord, give me a new relationship. Our Lord, I really need a raise. Our Lord, you know, get me out from underneath this boss. It's very interesting. I can imagine the Jews living in Babylon going, why does the Lord have us here? Why is the Lord allowing us to be oppressed by these leaders, this ungodly nation with all these temples and all this, you know, I mean, the worship of the Babylonians was just unbelievable. Why would God allow that? And we start wallowing, why, I'm so, why, Lord, why? And the Lord's going, I have you there for a reason. Just live a godly life when you're there. Don't get me out, because that's what our prayers are. See, our prayers become much more powerful when our prayers are, you know, not centered around ourselves, but centered around God. See, when they're centered around us, it's just a branch abiding in the vine. Uh, so what happens to that branch? It gets kind of cut off, you know, when it's not abiding, when it's about us. But the Lord specifically grafts us in. And we start to look around and we start to see ourselves more like the vine. 
And then our prayers start to sound like Jesus' prayers. And we start praying for the same things that Jesus would pray for. And guess what happens when you pray the way Jesus would pray? Things start to happen that glorify God. And then we may look at someone and say, how come you're getting what you're praying for and I'm not? Do you go, well, to me be the glory? No, you don't do that. Because you miss it when you do that. You begin to disciple and you begin to lead. You start leading others down the path toward God and start producing fruit. Verse 7, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory. See that in verse 8? You almost hear the apostle Peter thinking, but Lord, we're already your disciples. Now, fortunately, he didn't say that this time. He didn't put his foot in his mouth. Maybe he was a little off balance from what the Lord had already told, told him earlier where he was going to betray the Lord three times. So he decided to you know, be quiet for once. But Jesus has just said, if you do this, you will be my disciple. You know, so you can imagine it's not hard for them to say, Lord, what do you mean your disciple? We've been doing this for like three and a half years. Come on, Lord. You know, we quit our jobs. We made up T-shirts that, that, you know, that say original disciple 27 AD. You know, we had the press and did the whole thing with the, okay. I mean, they're the closest thing that the Lord has to disciples, right? So you're stuck with us, Lord. Hello. I mean, come on. Have you ever prayed like this, trying to get the Lord's attention? I already know what you're trying to teach me right now, Lord. Could we move on? Yes, we are your disciples. Well, this is really cool because Jesus is continually defining what we call a Christian. Now, Christians weren't called Christians until later on. In fact, not until Antioch later on. Um, it was long after Christ was crucified, long after Paul became a Christian, the people in Antioch literally hated the Christians, and they made up this derogatory name. They called them Little Christ. Little Christ. You know, it was derogatory. So they would be teaching in the synagogue or on a street corner, and people would go, man, I, I ran into these Little Christ today, you know? It was just, I mean, can you believe it? They just drive me nuts. Others would go, Little Christ, and they'd say, what do you mean? And they would go, well, you know, this guy named Christ, he, you know, some said he was the Messiah, and he, they killed him about 40 years ago, and can you believe it? They think he rose from the grave. How dumb is that? It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. So the Antioch uh, Christian, uh, you know, believers started calling themselves Little Christ. They took it on as a mantra and said, yeah, I'm a Little Christ, and they spread it all over the world. Now, I know it's hard to understand an attitude like that, especially in today's world. Why would anybody come up to, oh, you're a Christian, right? You would never hear a negative thing about Christians today, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, the further away you got from Antioch, they were called other things. Disciples of Jesus, followers of the way, friends of Jesus, servants of Christ. Uh, you know, all the same thing, just different, you know, labels. But leave it to religion now to formalize it 
and have everybody, you know, call the same thing. So within a few, Christ, you know, a few centuries, everybody was being called Christians, and it was no longer derogatory. Now, as you know, you can't give yourselves your own nickname, right? Anybody ever tried to do that? Oh, they call me such and such, and everybody kind of looks at you like, whatever, and they roll their eyes. You know, it just doesn't work that. But I, I wonder if we've really worn out this name. I mean, there's political parties around the world that call themselves Christian such and such, or such and such Christian. And they have done things that have not been Christ-like at all. But then, you know, back then they were called all sorts of things. So Jesus says that you will bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. What Jesus is saying here is this. Guys, on a night like tonight, I just want to tell you, I know you want to serve me, but I'm also your friend. I'm more than just that. Unlike any other religion in the world, we have a true God that came to serve. To serve. Think about that. A God who came down to this earth to become our friend, to show us the way. These guys are more than just disciples and servants. They're friends. The Lord is so gracious and merciful here. These guys did not serve, you know, uh, serve one another earlier in the evening, right? Christ had to get up and wash the feet. No one else was doing it. But the great thing is he not only observed, you know, not only observes that the, the now, but he also knows the future. He also knows what will happen, and he already observes the past. He already observes the now, and he says, you guys are my friends. It's a beautiful thing when Jesus talks to us this way. So many of us have grown up thinking, and have you ever been talked to this way? You know, some, so, so many of us thought that we could have a friendship with him, but we came with this attitude of he is master and we're slave. But really, he's a friend. He wants to be our friend. Jesus looks into the future and he sees beautiful stuff. But when I look into the future, what do I see? Old Alan. You know what I'm saying? That's what I see. And the Lord says, you know, well, I say to the Lord, Lord, when am I ever going to learn? How many times do I have to see, you know, learn the, the same lesson over and over? And the Lord goes, I know, but I'm working with you. I'm glad you're talking like that. And we begin repentance. And I want you to abide in me and bear fruit out of that repentance, he says. Fruit that will last. Well, I think I've kind of buried the subject. So let's, uh, one more thought and we'll be out of, town, uh, out of time. But verse 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now let me give you a real secret to Bible study as you get into the Word. It's one that I like to use, and especially in the books of, of John. John writes five books. Now, Revelation's a little different, but he will repeat words over and over. And then he'll take two words, and he'll kind of weave them together. 
And then he'll add a third word and a fourth word to expound on the meaning. And then he'll bring in a fifth. But he doesn't get rid of the first word. It stays around. And by the time he's done, he's got this incredible tapestry put together. It's called the book of John. So think about this. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now, if we read through that quickly, we just go, remain, remain. I'm confused. But did you catch that? The word command, or he commands us, was, was uh, twice in there. He kind of commands us. But father was in there, you know, uh, our father of his was in there twice, and, and you were in there three times. Remain or keep was in there three times. Love was in there five times, and me or my was in there six times. He builds upon it all. So what, all you have to do is look at what he used the most. Me or my. Okay, and I know it's translated in English and stuff, but those are the two words he uses there. You know, Jesus. This is about Jesus. The second most used word in that passage is love. So this is about Jesus' love. So we sat with that. Don't move on too quickly because it really is about Jesus' love. And then remain or kept or keep comes in three times. So Jesus says, I love when you remain. His love comes out when you remain. And this is about part of the Bible study I like. Jesus goes, I love you. I love you, Alan. I love you. And put your name in there. And we respond, I love you too, Jesus. And he says, the way you prove it is to remain. Now, what is remaining or abiding? It's when you, Alan, obey my commands. So it's not about just reading. It's not about just knowing. I need to put this into action. This is why it takes so long to get through the book, you know, like one of the books of John, because I get stuck in the meaning of Jesus' words here. I mean, I could go back and reteach everything I, I covered again and, and, re, and not repeat what I just said in a sense. Because Jesus is so deep. The Word of God is so powerful if we learn to abide in it, we learn to remain in it, we'll start bearing amazing fruit. And our fruit will glorify God. And that's the goal. The goal is that something would come out of us that the Lord would use in this world that is so messed up, right? That's an amazing thing that God would use you and I, to produce fruit. Hmm. Well, why don't we stand and pray as the worship team comes up and leads us out with one more song. If you need prayer, um, I think Pam and them, Pam's out helping. So if, uh, if you want to come up, and uh, I'll be up here if anybody would like some prayer. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for loving us.
I thank you so much that you chose us to abide in, that you chose us to, to bear fruit in this world. I pray, Lord, that our attitude, our actions, the stuff that is not made of you gets pushed out of the way and the things that you want to remain of our personality stays and you build upon that because you made us. You see us as perfect. Lord, I, I, I confess our sins. Every one of us have sin, Lord, and some of it we know and some of it we don't, Lord, but we lay that at your feet and we ask to be used by you. We ask to, to change the lives of people around us, that they would come to you, that they would be grafted into the branch or to the vine. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine down upon you. May you bear much fruit. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.